All right. So the, the book of James, and James as the author, okay, he is a man on mission. In his letter of about 108 verses, there are 54 imperatives. An imperative is a command. So as an apostle, as the leader of the church in Jerusalem, in his letter, he is authoritatively exhorting the church to action. All right? And he's kind of rough about it. He doesn't make any apologies. He's unapologetic in how he comes across. Now, I'm going to do my very best to be faithful to the text, but I would ask for your grace. Um, if, I, if you see me kind of getting into it a little bit, please know I love you. I'm just trying to be faithful to what James is really trying to communicate with us. And so with that, what I want to do is I want to talk about the context of where we're at. So last week, Pastor Jason introduced the concept of James here, which is James is absolutely concerned about our maturity in Christ. So much so that he writes this letter of exhortation, 108 verses, 54 imperatives to get after it. All right. And a great way to summarize kind of from last week and leading us into this week is I've got a, a quote for you. And it would be helpful if I actually put my glasses on. Oh, there we go. I have this quote for you. A believer can mature by pursuing, perceiving, and practicing the word of God. Trials from without, temptations from within, are no match for a Christian who stands in the truth from above. That's worth repeating. A believer can mature by pursuing, perceiving, and practicing the word of God. Trials from without, temptations from within, are no match for the Christian who stands in the truth from above. Amen? All right. So let's dive into what we've got here with James chapters, uh, chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. And what I want to highlight for you today is going to be three principles that he's trying to exhort to the church, to believers, as they are pursuing maturity. Some of those believers are going to be off in the, off in the weeds. And so this is going to be a call to correction. All right. And so let's take a look at what he has here. Let me read starting in chapter, uh, verse 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So I mentioned earlier that James has got 54 imperatives in here. If you want to understand the meaning of the text, if you really want to understand what the author is trying to convey, follow the verbs. And in this case, we're going to follow the imperatives. So the imperatives that we have for these three verses is know this. Let me go to the next slide. Know this. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slower to anger. And receive with meekness the implanted word. Let's take a look at those real quick, understand what they mean, and then we're going to kind of get an understanding of what's happening here, okay? So what's happening here is trials, tribulations, persecution, troubles, all this stuff that James was just talking about, that he encouraged his saints in the first 18 verses to consider it pure joy, okay? What's happening is, is these things are causing conflict. You see this all the time. When people are being pushed... And being bumped, 
What spills out of them is their flesh. And what's happening when flesh gets spilled, it comes in the form of conflict. So let's take a look at how James supports this and how he writes about it. All right, the first imperative is no. All right, this word no, now this is an imperative. This is a command from James. He wants you to know these principles, to know these truths so much so, so you won't be deceived. It's that important. This isn't a suggestion you might consider. He's not asking you to consider these. James doesn't ask to consider. He exhorts to follow and to know this. This is so important. So the first thing we really have to make sure we understand is know this and then do something with it. The next one is going to be B. This is an interesting imperative. B, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This is not necessarily prescriptive. What, he's saying, what I'm saying by that is, this is not just saying, hey, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slower to act, slower to anger. What he is saying is, this is more descriptive of the type of person who should live this out. You should be of character, of nature, that is one that when bumped with life's trials, troubles, and tribulations, by nature, you are quick to listen, slow to speak, slower to anger. This isn't a three-step self-help model that James is giving us. Because a non-believer could follow that if that's all James is saying. A non-believer can say, oh, I just need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slower to anger. Okay, I got this. I got this, I got this Christian walk. No, that's not what James is saying. It's not what he's saying at all. Be this type of a person. Let's continue on in our text and see what that looks like. The next imperative is receive. Now, this is an interesting word, receive with meekness, the implanted word. What this is referring to, the actual word, if you look in the, the Greek, it's re- talking about accepting. Acceptance with the intent of reacting, of responding. So this isn't a receive with the intent of, oh, I agree. James isn't so much concerned whether you agree. What he's asking you to do is to receive it and to respond. Receive it with response intended. Brothers and sisters, that's the same thing with our faith. Did we not get a free offering of salvation through the atonement and sacrifice of Jesus Christ? It's not enough just to know that Jesus died for our sins. What must we do? We must respond by faith. This is the same type of a verb. You must receive by faith, and that means putting it into action. So let's take a look at what's happening here real quick. My beloved brothers, everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slower to anger. That is a real interesting phrase that pop out of nowhere from trials and tribulations consider it pure joy. So the first thing I'm going to exhort you to do is to be quick to listen. So what is going on here? Again, conflict is wrecking the church. And more importantly, the way believers are handling conflict is wrecking their maturity. It is wrecking their maturity. And this is why James is writing with the utmost importance this first principle. And that principle is be, uh, be sanctified in spiritual faith, not stuck in fleshly faith. Okay? The type of person James is exhorting us to be is a spiritual person, not a f- person of the world. All right? You can see that in the verse here. All right? When he's talking about be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slower to anger, why does he have to command that? Why? Because we don't do it by nature in the flesh. That is not how we respond to conflict. 
If you're anything like me, in my flesh, okay, you bump me, I'm going to get upset. That's just my flesh. That's what Jesus came to save me from. I'm a fighter. Not a, I don't flee, I fight. Okay, that's, that's my bent. And so my nature, when I get bumped, mm, I take offense. Okay, if you bump me enough, I'm going to bump back. And usually what happens is out of that anger, what's the first thing I do with that anger? Then I open my mouth. Oh, I'm going to put you in your place. I'll put you in your place with scripture. I'll put you in your place with just me using big words, whatever. But I'm going to open my mouth to resolve this conflict because I'm angry. And the last thing I'm doing, the last thing we do when we're angry and we're opening our mouth is guess what? What are we not doing? We're not listening. We're not understanding we're just being loud and we're just putting fuel on a fire. That's all we're doing. And that's what James is trying to say. I care about your maturity so much. I want you to be a spiritual person that when the conflict comes, and it's coming, it's all around you, by the nature of the Spirit, you respond by being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slower to anger. So let's take a look at the next slide here. We've got this, this, this battle between the, the, the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. All right? And you can see here in Galatians 5, 19 through 23. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, immunity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those, things, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there are no law. So notice what I highlighted there, right? We've got the fits of anger versus the gentleness. One of these that James is talking about falls into the category of the deeds of the flesh. And he tells us to receive the word, the implanted word, in meekness, which is being part of the spirit. So there's a battle going on in every flesh and spirit. Even Paul writes about this in Romans 7. Okay? I'm going to paraphrase this. Paul is basically saying, I know what is good. I agree with what is good. I've studied what is good. I've taught on what is good. The problem is me. Every time I try to do the good, it's the other guy that keeps coming up and messing it up. Brothers and sisters, I, I, that, this is a big one for me. I was convicted because this is, this is one of my bents. I want to follow God. I want to love people. I want to love God. The problem is I keep trying to do it in John's flesh and not the spirit. And so I make a mess of things. And so, again, this is this battle between sp spirit and flesh. And that's what James is writing here. Being spiritual versus being fleshly. All right, let's move on to the next point. Let's go to verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. All right, once again, what are we going to do here? Okay, this but is contrasting something that's going on from the previous verse. That's a connecting word. Okay, but what? Don't just be a receiver of the faith. Remember that, that receive was meant to imply doing something with it. And so again, he's reinforcing that. Don't just be a listener of the, faith, of the word, a hearer of the word, a reader of the word, a study of the word. Put it to action. And so this word here, the be here, 
This is a different type of imperative. It's not the same word as the one up above that we talked about. Be that person of character. This is a different one. This is about, be about doing it. Get it going. Start it. Turn around from your current course. Turn around. You're going the wrong way. And what James is trying to warn you is like, it's danger, danger. You are heading down the wrong path. You are setting up a discipline of listening, hearing, and studying and doing nothing with it. Stop. For the love of God. For the love of the saints. For yourself. Turn around. That's what he's insisting here. Turn around. Turn around from what? Well, look at what's happening here. He's saying, you're not doing it. You're like a person who looks into the mirror. And then you forget what you look like. Okay, why, why would we look into a mirror? What is the purpose of subjecting ourselves <laughs> of looking into a mirror? Why would I do that? Just so I can be frustrated with how good looking I'm not? <laughs> no, I'm doing it because I want to make sure that I've shaved, I've brushed my teeth, my hair's combed. I'm doing it because I'm going to do something with what I see. What I see in the mirror means I'm going to address something. Same thing with your scale. Okay? Why in the world would we have a scale in our bathroom? Just to frustrate us? Right? The scale is there for a reason. It displays truth. The truth is now I have to do something with that truth. If I don't do anything with that truth, then I'm being a fool. Or here's a big one. My sons, they, they play a lot of sports, and so they drink a lot of these protein drinks. Okay? You know what protein does to somebody who doesn't work out? It turns to fat. So the difference between my boys and me, we're both plowing down these protein drinks, they're getting buff and I'm getting fat because I'm not exercising it. Protein that's not used for building muscle turns to fat. All right, so what we have here is the principle of be sanctified in smart faith, not stuck in foolish faith. Do we have that slide? Be sanctified in smart faith, not stuck in foolish faith. You've got to be smart about it. You've got to be smart about it. Don't fool yourself thinking that just looking at the Word, reading the Word, without doing anything what it says, is going to achieve anything in your spiritual life. It won't. Just like looking at that scale and wishing the weight just sheds off. Ain't going to happen. And so James is exhorting us to that. Let's take a couple, look at a couple of scriptures. So in Luke 11.28, Luke is saying, Blessed... Rather, are those who hear and keep the word. So you're going to be blessed, not just by hearing the word, but you've got to do it. You've got to keep it. John reiterates that. Sanctify them in your truth. The word is truth. The word of God will sanctify you. But you've got to be about doing it. Otherwise, it won't do you much good. It's kind of like the kid who thinks he's going to pass his algebra test by sleeping on his algebra book. You're not going to pass the algebra test. You actually have to work the problems and practice. And that's how you're going to get better. And then Jesus says here in John 8, so Jesus said to the Jews who have believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you know that the truth will set you free. Okay, so the truth will set you free from the flesh if you abide in the word and you obey the word. Otherwise, you're going to be continue to do the same thing. I'm continuing to be fleshly, fleshly, fleshly. Why? Because you're not doing the spiritual exercises. All right, let's move on to our last one here. Verse 26 through 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person in religion is worthless. 
Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. All right. What is James talking about here? The church, it's growing. It's dealing with persecution, though. It's dealing with trials. It's dealing with tribulations. It's dealing with troubles. One of the things we also see from Acts 6 is as God continued to add to their numbers, problems came to the church. Who comes to the church generally? People that are well or people that are sick? People that are sick. People that have needs. And so what happens is that the church is growing as, as the church continues to receive more and more people that have turned their lives over to Jesus and they're going to bring more and more of their worldly problems with them, their issues. Okay? Part of those issues are going to be, in James' world, the reality was through imprisonment and death and martyrism, you're going to have widows. You're going to have orphans. Those are realities that they lived with. And so James is talking to the spiritual elite, at least those who would call themselves that, and he's exhorting them not to be deceived. But we don't have an imperative here. That's the problem. There's no imperative in this, these passages. So we don't have a command to follow here. But there is an inferred command. And we'll talk, look at that. So what we have to work with is we have some key words. And the key word here is religious religion. If you look at your text. If anyone thinks he's religious, okay, but he doesn't bridle his tongue, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Okay, we know this is being emphasized because it's repeated three times in two verses and he's doing a compare and contrast. That's extremely important to understand as you're studying the scriptures. When you see something repeated and then you see compared and contrast. The author is circling this and kind of saying, hello, pay attention, this is important. Although I'm not commanding you, this is a great way to look in the mirror and see if you're on the right trajectory. And what he's comparing here, this is really interesting. The, the word religious in the first, first part of 26a, that's, that's your faith, living by the faith, living by the tenets of the faith. You consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, and so therefore your life goal is to grow in that Christ-likeness, but also to live out that faith. All right, so he's saying if you believe that you are religious, one who follows Jesus, then he says be careful about how you speak. Now this word for doesn't bridle his tongue, Deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. This word for religion could also be paraphrased, your worship. You think you're worshiping God because you know a lot? Hmm. Interesting. Is that how Jesus measured knowing him? You say you're a follower of Christ. You talk a lot. You boast a lot. What's happening is that word for worship, that word for religion... Worship? What If the worship is not to the one true God, then what is that worship called? In the Greek, in the way this is built, it's calling it idolatry. That's pretty heavy. If you think you're religious, and you're all about talk, and you're not doing anything, you're actually an idol worshiper. You're worshiping yourself. You're being puffed up with pride not built up in love. Ouch. That's hardcore. That is hardcore. However, he's contrasting that 
Religion that is pure and undefiable for God, the Father, is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. Again, he's saying true religion, true worship to the one true God, the person cares about the things of God. The person cares about what God cares about. And God is always caring for the least of these. Amen? The least of these. I'm the least of these. There is nothing good in John. I'm so thankful that God's grace came and saved me because I was lost. And all my fleshly deeds were going to amount to nothing. And so I, I consider myself one of the least of these. I have no pedigree. I have nothing to bring Jesus except for an empty man. All right. And so what this principle right here is, is this is the principle of being sanctified in sincere faith, not stuck in fake faith. Sincere faith. What does sincere mean? Sincere is used in the scriptures, and the root word for sincere means judged by the sunlight, waxless. You heard me right. Judged by the sunlight, waxless. Okay, in the culture that it was referring to, pottery makers, merchants who made pottery, would bake the pottery, okay, and the purpose of making the pottery was to, for people to use for cooking and for holding water, all right? So it was built for a purpose, to serve the people who bought it. An un, a corrupt merchant, if they broke their vase, their pottery, they would put it together with wax, kind of glue it, and then paint over it. So an unsuspecting merchant, uh, a shopper would come up, would see this beautiful vase, look at it, okay? They'd pay it, they'd go home, they heat up, and would be the first thing to happen. The wax melts and the pot shatters. It's absolutely worthless. Being sincere means there, you are not hiding anything. This isn't perfect faith. This is sincere faith. It's okay to be broken. It's okay to be growing. It's okay to make mistakes. Just don't try to pretend you're perfect and that you're more than you are. And so that's what James is talking about here. Let's take a look at a couple of scriptures here. So in Genesis 2, uh, 12, verses 2 through 3, basically what's happening here is God is telling Abraham, I am blessing you to be a blessing to others. Pay the blessing forward. There's an expectation. I will bless you up. I will grow you up. But all of this is meant so that you pay it forward and bless others. Next verse. We've got Ephesians 4. You've read, Jason's read this a few times. God gives us gifts. He gives us spiritual gifts. Not for our own edification. It's not so that we puff ourselves up. All right? The gift of teaching. The gift of serving. The gift of giving. The gift of exhortation. The gift of whatever it is that God gives you. It's not for you. It was always and is still intended to build up the church and to serve others. And the next verse, Luke 10, 27, okay? Our greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, and then right after that is a story of the Good Samaritan. Okay, the two people in that story who did not render aid, did not come to their neighbor's aid and help them, were the two religious ones, the scribes and, the, and the, the religious leaders. They had more important religious stuff to do than to take time out than to help somebody in need. And it was the Samaritan that showed true religion, true faith, sincere faith. All right, let's bump this over to our application here. I'm going to run through this very quickly. All right, so what do we do with this? How do we apply this? Soberly survey your faith. Romans 12.3 says... With sober judgment, 
Judge how you're doing. Right thinking, not inflated. Okay, the idea here is contrary to being drunk. Right? They say that alcohol is liquid courage. We've all kind of heard stories of that. You get a couple of drinks in you and all of a sudden you think you can take on the world. Right? That type of thinking about yourself is you think I'm better than you are. You're not. You're exactly who you are. Be sober about that. We're going to talk about how to do that. The second one is spiritual faith. Settle conflict peacefully. This is going back to that verses 19 through 21. Smart faith. Submit to the word of God. That actually means do it. And then sincere faith. Demonstrating saving faith by your serving faith. You say that you're spiritual? Good. Show me. I'm not about words. I'm about action. James is saying, show me. I don't want to hear how spiritual you are. I don't want to hear all the things you're learning and growing in the faith. If it's not actually applying itself in real life and helping people, then nobody cares. Put it to work. So let's take a quick look at this real quick and then we'll we'll move on. All right, so how do you soberly survey your faith? God's given us three environments of which to do that, to judge our faith. One is the scriptures are going to be a great judge. As you go through the scriptures, you have to be honest and judge yourself. The Spirit is going to... Ah, you know how the Spirit does those things. Ah, I like to just overlook that passage, but the Spirit will not let me. He's going to haunt me. He's going to probe me. He's going to push me. And then the saints. Brothers and sisters, part of being in community is because we need one another to sharpen one another, to call out these things lovingly, to gently restore one another. So how do you soberly survey your faith? You've got to be in the Scriptures. You've got to be with the Spirit. And you've got to be amongst the saints. Next one. Okay. Now here's an eye candy for you. I chart. All right, you've got to settle conflict peacefully. Going back to verses 19 through 21, accept the implanted word, okay? You have to accept it. And that means you need to work your soil, okay? He's talking about implanted word. The word's already here. You already have 100% of the Spirit. When you were saved in Christ Jesus, the full Holy Spirit came in and dwells in you 100%. The problem is you are not allowing him to have 100% of you. So when you go work in the soil, what you're doing is that rocky ground, that's sin. That sin is keeping the root of God's word from going deep. And so you've got to get that sin out of there. Okay? The crowded one, the thorns, that's crowded. That's something else besides Jesus is number one. Okay? Finances, security, comfort, whatever it is, distractions, idols. You've got to do that work. So you've got to work the soil of your heart. And they need to be filled and walk with the Spirit. The Spirit wants to fill you. The Spirit wants to enable you. That's His job. Okay? And so don't hinder that. Don't grieve and don't quench the Spirit. How do you grieve the Spirit? You grieve the Spirit by unconfessed sin. How do you quench the Spirit? You disobey. If you confess your sin and you obey to what God says, the Spirit's with you. Trust me. You just got to do it. And He's going to empower you. All right? And then James is going right back to James. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Understand what's going on. Talk to your neighbor. Talk to your brother or sister. Get to know what's going on. In love, confess, repent if you need to. Forgive and restore. Do it gently and in love. So brothers and sisters, that's a lot of stuff in a short amount of time. I pray that it it challenges you this week as it challenged me as I went together for this. Let me pray and close this. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for exhortations that come even when we don't want them to come. I just pray, Father, that, that we would uh, tend to the soils of our heart, that we would walk in the Spirit. We would do what the Scripture says. And then, Father, I pray that we would have sincere faith. And more than we would talk about it, we would demonstrate it.
We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.